everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Space Engineering. This episode continues my Q&A session with Lyle Campbell and Andrea Sportillo from the Polytechnic University of Milan in Italy, in which we discuss what went into getting the Phoenix CubeSat up and running at ASU. More specifically, this episode will cover how our team is structured and a few things that I would do differently if I were to do a CubeSat project all over again. So if you're part of a CubeSat team that's trying to start a mission of your own, then I hope that you find this episode useful. And if you still have questions afterwards, as always, please feel free to shoot me an email. And with that, let's dive right back into the conversation. here somewhere yeah there it is um what like what level of guidance came from your supervisors the jpl staff and how much was driven by like the team members yourselves yeah um let's see so really at the end of the day a lot of a lot of phoenix was the students um our mentors were so I guess the, the structure of the team is that, you know, we, for, for organization, we had a Slack. And so we had a Slack that we would post things to our mentors, uh, our ASU mentors were fairly active on that. And so they would kind of help monitor things and answer questions. Um, their, you know, their time is, is limited, but when it really came down to the wire, um, they were there uh, and, and they were, they were there to, to provide guidance and input. And it was very, I would say that was one of the things that, helped the most with making sure that Phoenix came together on time was was having that guidance because even with things like um, logistically things that you're doing or you know ways ways to debug certain things or like even features that you need in your CubeSat you may not have thought of um, a lot of things really just come with experience and so it's it's very useful to have mentors who have uh, either worked on similar projects or you know, just kind of know what to work, look out for and, and things to ask, ask questions on um, is, is very useful. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the, the places where they were able to offer a lot of oversight is, is really just kind of helping, helping me and helping everyone else make sure that we were kind of checking all of the boxes and, and doing that efficiently. So um, they were active on Slack and then mainly we had a, a weekly meeting uh, where everyone was present, including our, our faculty mentors, we, we, we would just go through status and they would a, uh, ask questions. Um, and so that was really just like the main day when they were active. And then for the rest of the week, it was just us solving problems as, as need be um, and, and getting additional guidance along the way. Um, so mostly it was the students. Uh, our mentors from, from JPL and other places were really uh, they weren't in those weekly meetings, but we did have people come in for our design reviews um, to kind of make sure that, you know, when we were giving the, the big updates, uh, they were there to, to provide input. Um, and that's also because, too, like if you get other people involved from outside, you may have to pay them depending on, you know, what, what their time is like. Uh, with ASU, we have a, a CAP partnership with JPL. I forget what the CAP stand, but CA, I forget what the CAP is an acronym for, but it is a partnership with the university where you basically um, 
you get a certain amount of funding for the academic year and that will pay for people's time to come and give you advice. And so with that partnership, we were able to get people for design reviews uh, for them to get to give their input. Um, or if it was things like we've never done a TVAC test before and how, you know, how, how do we structure this? Um, what are other things that we need to look out for when it comes to, uh, you know, dealing with environmental tests or flight integration? Um, uh, you know, like things that we had never heard of before were, you know, the, the air thing compounds that you need for, for um, conformal coding and, and staking. Uh, and so we were able to like schedule some time with, with our mentors in JPL to get their input on some of those processes. And that's kind of where, where a lot more of their time came in was more of these uh, kind of isolated meetings. Um, and then the other thing that we were very lucky to have with the, the CAP partnership was um, uh, mentoring sessions with uh, th uh, thermal engineer Belinda Schreckengost. Um, she met with our thermal team weekly uh, to kind of go through the design and, um, you know, make sure that, that, you know, help, help the team learn thermal desktop and, and understand yeah. how to do analyses properly and that, how to check their analyses. Um, and so that was the biggest, I think, chunk of time that we really got from anyone outside of the university was, was for that. And that's kind of where a lot of our, uh, additional mentorship came in aside from our faculty mentors. Okay, great. Um, how did you structure your the team? Like, did you have like a, a kind of like a senior engineer, then team leaders, and then members below them? And yeah, how, how did you structure your team and how did you manage the knowledge handover as people came and left? Yeah. Um, so the basic structure of the team was that you had... So we did have team leads for all of the major subsystems and then uh, people under them. And really the job of the team lead was essentially to, you know, take ownership for that particular subsystem and make sure that, um, you know, things were being organized in terms of making sure that the, we were meeting our requirements uh, or, or getting things tested. Um, so like, you know, the, the software team lead is going to is going to take a lot more responsibility for making sure that uh, the other team members are are meeting with people from the other subsystems, really understanding how those sub sub, sub can't talk this morning <laughs> subsystems work, and um, making sure that that gets translated into code. Uh, so your spacecraft is going to be doing uh, it, it does everything that it needs to. Um, uh, versus, you know, the, the ADCS team lead is, is going to be a lot more responsible for doing the actual simulations uh, or making sure that, that all of the appropriate simulations are getting done to make sure that um, you understand your attitude control very well, how you operate your, atti your attitude control system. Um, if you're purchasing hardware off the shelf, there's firmware that you'll have to configure um, that you need to make sure is configured correctly and, you know, the coordinate frames uh, match up so that way when your spacecraft thinks it's pointing at the sun it actually is pointing at the sun or the the solar panels are actually pointing at the sun um so it's keeping track of a lot of the little things like that and then kind of uh delegating making sure that that um people are are doing the tasks that, that they've been given so we had team leads for those and then other people helping out underneath them uh and then kind of more at the top you have your like systems engineers, uh, and then 
and project manager and pe people like me who were kind of looking at all of the other subsystems and saying, okay, this is, this is the, how the system needs to come together. And this is how it's currently coming together. And is all of that being done a efficiently and B are we checking all of the boxes that we need to right now? Uh, and if not, what are some of the ways that, that we need to change things so that way, you know, it is, we are working as efficiently as we possibly can. And, um, you know, that, that could even, uh, it could even be that, uh, what am I trying to say? So, so with software, for example, um, one of the ways that, that we really, software is probably the, the place where efficiency matters the most. Uh, and you really want to make sure that you're, um, you know, the right people are working, people who are strong in certain areas are working on the right thing. So that way that can come together efficiently, that makes any sense. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, the systems engineers kind of floated at the top. And then our um, faculty mentors were above that, making sure that, you know, as, as the, the faculty mentors were kind of overseeing things and making sure that, you know, the students have appropriate support when they need it. Uh, they have appropriate guidance when they need it. Um, but for the most part, the, our faculty mentors were, you know, aside from the meetings they were very, you know, they were, I don't, they were hands on when we needed them for debugging. For the most part, it was the students, it was really student driven, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But when Jed and Danny, who are faculty mentors, um, really had to be there to help with debugging and or help us just understand like, you know, why isn't this working? Um, what are, what don't we understand? They were there. Um, and so that's kind of how we, we had things structured differently between faculty being involved versus um, more of your student management and then the actual like the, the rest of the subsystems themselves. Um, and then for things like licensing um, and other kinds of like logistical paperwork was, was stuff that, that I handled as, as the PM. Um, so like uh, all of the, you know, NOAA licensing, FCC licensing, um, and then direct contact with like NASA, LSP and NanoRacks was, was mostly me. Okay, and so you use Slack for like regular communications. Did you, did you use that for everything or was there another something else you used to keep track of all the important documents or was it all? No, that's that's a good question. So we use Slack mostly for communication and, and just for DMs. Um, it is important to keep track of what you're doing, all of the work that you're doing though. So um, we developed this later in um, in the uh, project timelines, we weren't always doing this, but we found it very, we started doing memos to keep track of um, large tasks that we were working on. Um, so let's say you were gearing up for, um, you know, to, to do a qualification test on, on your EPS, your EPS subsystem, or um, your ADCS team was doing an analysis on, um, you know, with, with the hardware and making sure that, you know, when you send a command, when you send our, AD, our ADCS system, the proper commands, it's, it's doing exactly what we expect it to. Any, any specific, you know, milestone or task that we had, we would write a memo for. We would document what we did in the memo, uh, the outcomes, and, you know, any other relevant information that, that was necessary. Um, and so with those, we tried to make them a lot more detailed to, to make sure that, you know, when 
um, you know, anyone who, who would open it and, and read it would understand what you did. Uh, and so that's a really good way to keep track of the work that you've done and the outcomes of it, because later on when you, you know, have to think about, oh, you know, I did, like, what, what was this value that we got from this one test? You know, you have something to go back and reference. Um, and so that was a, that's one very good way to keep track of uh, just the work that you've done itself. And it's also a very good way to onboard people when they come on. Uh, so if someone has to learn, if someone's onboarded to your payload team and they want to learn about all of the work that's been done so far, say, go look at the memos and read all of them and um, ask questions about what you don't understand, uh, then that, that helps facilitate a lot of that, you know, uh, self, uh, that self onboarding uh, that, that I mentioned earlier um, to, to kind of say, okay, you know, this is what we've done go go learn it and understand it and then that kind of relieves your team to keep doing what they're doing while the while the the new people kind of get up to speed and and what have you um it's also useful for design reviews like if you have test pictures and stuff like that in there you can just grab them and kind of throw them in um helps things come together a lot quickly once you know if you do all of the heavy work up front um so we would do things like memos uh for scheduling uh, a lot of you know, in the industry, you'll see a lot of people use Gantt charts. Um, we found that to be extremely ineffective because, um, you know, this is the first time we've ever done something like this. And so Gantt charts were changing all of the time. Uh, and they're very useful, but I found it to be a lot of work to, you know, reconfigure them every time we were learning something different. So what we ended up doing is we did everything in Google Drive and, um, because it was a centralized place that everyone could access. You know, if I, I didn't have to send a Gantt chart out every week to, uh, to update people with where things were, you could just go to the drive, open up the spreadsheet and you would see, okay, this is what everyone's working on right now. This is the, you know, uh, level of completion, um, you, know, you know, partially complete, completed uh, or percent, whatever works best for you. Um, we did that in the form of, of a spreadsheet. And so we would list out all of the the tasks that we were working on, the initial deadline for them, like a final deadline for them, um, and and keep track of things in there, and then kind of set milestones to to occur every um, set large milestones for every two weeks or so, uh, so that way, you know, we were we were trying to push ourselves in saying, okay, you know, we really need this done by the state, uh, this large milestone done by the state, but also trying to be um, a little more realistic uh, with with being students um, and and setting these goals for short time periods to to set you know at least reasonable deadlines for the things that we needed to do. So we really tried to make things as transparent as possible uh, in terms of how you know what what information people had access to it and where they could get to it, um, and that just proved to be very efficient for uh, for us in in kind of. Um, keeping organized through the, the the process. And then once it came time for when we're doing a lot of our software development on GitHub, we use the GitHub issues to track a lot of the specific um, software, software issues that we were working on or software tasks that we were working on. Um, so, so we use that more so than memos when it, you know, for software related issues. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, kind of mostly what, what we would do. And then we would have, you know, other major documents that would 
you know, like our requirements that would that would detail, okay, these are all of the requirements for the project. Um, these are the things that are nice to have versus the things that are absolutely necessary. Um, and then trackers for other, you know, tests and, and things that we were measuring just to uh, kind of make sure we were checking all of the boxes and keeping track of, um, you know, uh, how long does it take to download an image or how, how big is this file? Things that are very useful to know for the operations phase. So that way, um, you know, if, if you don't have like a flat set to keep testing, you have an idea of how long th things are gonna take and, and what to expect. Sure. Uh, my, my last two questions. Uh, <laughs> the, I think you mentioned in one of the reports I read that you got in touch with some like local amateur radio operators and astronomers for like, was that for help with the ground station or just help contacting the satellite when it's out of, out of view of you guys? Yeah. Uh, so for the, they can help with ground station with, uh, you know, if, if you're having issues with, um, Configure, configuring your ground station. Uh, you can always contact the AMSAT community and people will help. Um, we mostly used the AMSAT community and because our ground station was already set up at that point, we mostly used the AMSAT community and the SATNOGS database for basically tracking Phoenix when it was not over the ASU ground station. Um, and they're also extremely helpful for just preparing for actually deploying your CubeSat from the ISS um, because yeah, because once your CubeSat's deployed, the very first task that you have to do is figure out which one is yours. And so the more people that you have aware that your CubeSat is being deployed, uh, the more people can listen to it and help you figure out, okay, out of the 10 CubeSats that were just deployed, which one is Phoenix? And so, because, uh, you know, it, it, with the SentinelX database, the, the admins for that are very, um, they're very experienced because they've they've done it so many times in, in figuring out which which uh, TLE set uh, belongs to your CubeSat, and so once they understand that, then that helps you kind of update other people with okay, if you want to track uh, the spacecraft, like use use this TLE set, and um, and then uh, you can you can ping it um, or uh, just listen for it for its health beacon. And so it, it really helps to just get as many people involved as possible to, um, especially in the beginning, to make sure that your CubeSat is, is alive and responsive um, and troubleshoot things as necessary. So like when we were, when we initially had our, uh, our anomaly, we were trying to just transmit commands and see what, what was working, what responses we would get for certain commands. And so uh, there were people from the AMSAT community that helped us transmit harmless, um, commands that would just return status, not do anything really operational. Um, and so that allowed us to kind of divide the work between, you know, us sending things and then people on the other side of the US sending things. Um, because, you know, you only really get two passes a day. So having the more, the more people who can help you debug stuff is it, the better. Um, so that's really where the amateur radio community came in handy with us. Um, but there are people who will ask questions all the time about, hey, I have this, um, this SDR that I'm trying to set up and uh, what do you recommend in terms of trying to just listen for, for satellites and, um, and decode their beacons? Um, 
there, there are plenty of people who, who do that and who are willing to help you figure that out when the time comes. Sure. Um, oh, final, final question for me. Uh, what, what things would you have done differently uh, technically or organizationally if you had the time again? Oh boy. <laughs> um, let's see. Technically, so I think in terms of the technical side of things, I think we would kind of just, it would have been nice to have started off with the mentality that we had and the knowledge that we had. Um, so I think if you were to take the same team that finished Phoenix now and start a brand new uh, CubeSat, um, you have people who have a much better understanding of how to properly define uh, requirements. So like level one versus level two, how does that flow work? Um, and yeah, and what's necessary and what, what really isn't necessary because once you really understand your requirements, like the rest of the project is just making sure that you meet those, even like with software, for example, like your software should just be able to take your requirements list and kind of go down and check all of those boxes. Um, you don't necessarily need to have like, um, let's see. Yeah. Um, so, so having a, a very good understanding of, of requirements up front, I think would have helped us a lot. Uh, so I think if I were to have, if I were to like go back to the person I was and advise myself now, uh, I probably would have, you know, make sure the NASA systems engineering handbook has a very good outline for what is a good requirement look like? What is the difference between level one versus level two? level three um, and so on. Uh, so I would say make sure that your team looks at that, really looks at that and understands it um, and have a very detailed systems requirements review for, um, for all of the requirements that you set for yourself and make sure that, that the, the goals and objectives that you're setting for yourself are um, as as good as they possibly need to be. And if you, cause if you set yourself up on, on the right foundation, um, then it makes a lot of things a lot easier. Um, we did do a systems requirements review when we started, but I don't know. I think, I think we were all just kind of, we were all just so new to everything. Um, there were a lot of things that we didn't catch. Um, and so having people, you know, who have developed a CubeSat before um, and kind of know specifically what to look out for um, are, are good to have in that room um, when it comes time to actually hold that kind of review. Uh, so, the, you know, those, those are a couple of things to, to consider is, is making sure that you kind of get the right input, you start off on the right foot, and, um, and everyone's kind of uh, coordinated from the beginning. Um, let's see. Uh, logistically, I think, I think we had we were set up pretty good logistically. Um, we should have done memos earlier than we did. Um, I think that would have helped with onboarding a lot because uh, we we started those fairly late in in the project. Um, so starting those from the beginning would have would have been useful. Um, let's see, and then really just I think kind of delegating more of the smaller as. Uh, smaller tasks that you can to make sure that you know people aren't um, 
spreading spreading themselves too thin uh keeping track of things like um you know how long people are working on on something um to you know to make sure that like three weeks hasn't gone by and you're like oh we still haven't resolved this one thing so kind of keeping a tracker of how long you've actually had to you know had an issue or um have just had kind of something sitting off to the side is is good to to kind of to know to start doing from the beginning um but yeah so i i think you know apart from from understanding from having a better understanding of what's absolutely necessary and and what um what our goals are from the beginning that's that's really the major thing that i i think i would change um and then everything kind of just fell into place as as it did um you know I, I would say from a from a project management side you yeah keeping track of of progress and what's working efficiently and, and what's not and you know what what work is everyone doing what questions aren't being asked um what teams aren't talking to each other uh and should they be talking to each other um that's also very important so like in the beginning, I would say like our, our software team wasn't interacting a whole lot with all of with the other subsystems and, and understanding kind of how all of those worked. We were all in the beginning, all very separate kind of from one another um, in terms of work. And so it was like, oh, the comms team's doing this, software team's doing that. Um, and that's not really what you want uh, for, for a team. Everyone kind of has to be a systems engineer and really understand what's going on with all of the other uh, the other subsystems because at the end of the day a lot of subsystems impact other ones um, and so knowing what to look out for is is really important and so everyone making sure everyone kind of everything is transparent and everyone's up to speed um, and people are having the right conversations is is important um, and the more people who really get into it and and you know, really help keep track of everything, the, the easier it, it becomes for um, things to come together, I'll say. So that's, you know, I, I would say that's one logistical thing that I is, is useful to make sure that you have in a team is, is the fact that, you know, you have a lot of people who are paying attention and, and have a very good understanding of what the system looks like as a whole. Because um, at the end of the day, that's really how everything comes together. Oh, perfect. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I think I think Andrea had a question now. Uh, uh, yes, sorry, I have uh, small questions. Um, so the first one is uh, a clarification about the software. So you talk about the software and you put um, a lot of effort uh, on that. It was uh, because of the fact that it, that was included in the payload, or uh, it is actually the software is uh, an important part in the development of the CubeSat itself without considering the payload. Yeah, the software is, your software is basically your spacecraft. Um, and okay. I, I like to say it, I think that was, maybe that was something that Danny had, had said once and you know, I, I'm just now carrying on to, to everyone I talk to. Um, but you know, really, it, it really is because anything that your CubeSat needs to do, it's all done through software commands. If you need to turn on a power rail, or if you need to 
tell your ADCS to track a, a target or track the sun. Um, all of those are, are software related commands. And so maybe you're not developing. So, so in our case, all of our hardware was commercial off the shelf. So we didn't have to program our, you know, the, the controllers on our ADCS to do certain things. We just had to write the, the top level flight software that would send commands to all of the components, the proper commands to all of the components to tell them what to do. Um, but even with that, there's still a lot that you have to take into consideration, um, you know, with logistically, um, you know, everything you need to, to just make that work. Um, because not only do you need all of the commands to, you need to make sure all of the commands work smoothly uh, and output the, you know, the right response. Um, and you need to make sure that all of the commands you could ever possibly want to use are included in there, or you could have something like uh, what we developed was uh, MOPS pass-through. Uh, MOPS stands for mission ops in this case. Uh, and so this was just like raw bytes that we could send to the hardware that would, um, you know, if the, the bytes were correct, it would do the command that was already pre-programmed pre onto the hardware. And so this really just prevented us from saying, okay, if you send this particular command code and these particular parameters, it will take all of those and then, um, you know, execute this command. Uh, and so that was kind of a quick way to make sure that, okay, we can tell this component to do everything that it could possibly do, but we don't have time to implement every single one of those. Um, so there's, there's implementing commands and then there's also doing a lot of the overhead, uh, just kind of logistical things that you need for, that are specific to your, um, your mission. Uh, and the, the biggest areas where, where this becomes a lot of work is with comms especially. So like for us with, you know, we're saving images, we're saving all of this telemetry. Uh, eventually we need to transmit that to our ground station. We need to make sure that it reliably gets there from, it reliably gets from point A to point B. And so um, we ended up developing, you know, kind of this communication protocol uh, ourselves that would kind of uh, take files, separate them, transmit them out, uh, allow for us to do things like re-request files if um, the whole file wasn't received. Um, so it's, it's things like that when it comes down to what is your specific, um, what are your specific operations that you're going to be doing? What are the things that would make the operations phase easier for you to do? Um, ground commands to like reset your spacecraft, for example, or um, update the onboard clock. Um, there's going to be a bunch of small things that, that you'll think of that are just really useful um, to make your mission as effective as, as possible. Um, and so that's where the, the flight software really becomes a lot of work is, is just making sure that, that it's robust. Thank you very much. Okay, so just uh, to recap the, the important points that uh, I got I got so far. Uh, so the requirement definition is very important. Keep track of uh, all the progresses that we have done so far. So the development, the, the motivation to justify what, the, what we are going to do. So to to have memos of uh, what have we have done and why we are going to do something else about it. And then the communication in um, between the people in the team. Is that? Okay. Um, I just have a, a, a small question about the, 
the meetings that uh, you you had with your team outside, uh, not considering the, the mentors? Did you met, meet uh, periodically? I don't know, each week, uh, each month, uh, or uh, how, how did you manage this, this part? Yeah, um, that really changes with um, where you are in, in your project timeline. So at the beginning, when Phoenix first started out, we were just having uh, weekly meetings. And so these were our uh, weekly, you know, all hands on deck team meetings where everyone would kind of get together. We would just talk about status, um, go through any issues that people were having um, and talk things out as we needed to. Uh, and then the subsystem teams would meet throughout the week separately so they could kind of get their work done, resolve things, um, you know, go over their internal schedule, update. Um, this was a nice thing about the, the spreadsheet that we made that kind of tracked all of our milestones is that in each subsystem meeting, they could just go into that spreadsheet and update it with, um, okay, this is what we're working on. This is where we currently are. And so that kind of allows everyone to interact with the schedule and really understand what that schedule is, as opposed to it being controlled by one person. Um, I, I, I found that that was helpful in kind of helping communicate things to people. Um, and you may have to make like, I don't know, additional diagrams or other, you know, supplementary material to help communicate things along the way. But um, having that be transparent was was useful, at least we found. Um, so the subsystems would have their own weekly meetings, and then we would have our team meetings. Um, when it really came down to uh, the wire, we were doing a lot of the software development. Um, we had daily meetings, uh, actually. And, and really, these meetings were just like our lab time. So we just said, okay, uh, you know, Monday through Friday, um, lab time is going to be from like 3pm to 9pm. And you don't have to be there from 3pm to 9pm. But like, if you go in, in this time, someone should be there. Uh, and, you know, just come in when you can and work on work on whatever you can. And when you got to leave, you got to leave. Because we all understand that, you know, students have classes. Um, and, you know, and your primary goal is to graduate. <laughs> um, so, so it's understandable. Um, but we kind of made sure that that someone was kind of always there. And that allows people to to talk with each other, tag up with each other, ask questions. Um, so that was kind of like our you know, daily meeting that we had. Um, I know a lot of other teams too will do like, um, you know, daily internal calls when, when you get down to really critical points. Um, we've also done these for um, the my work um, where, uh, you know, when we're having really big issues and, and we have to solve them, it's kind of like, We'll have these daily tag ups where everyone gets on the phone and we just talk through the current status, we talk through the issues we're having, and then everyone tries to solve them and everyone asks questions. So it's kind of like you've got all of these heads together and, and how do you solve problems? Um, so that's that's kind of how we broke things up. Um, and once you get, yeah. So in the beginning, it's a lot more lack, uh, relaxed. Um, and then towards the end, you'll, you'll be meeting a lot more uh, frequently. Um, even in the beginning, it's good to still try, you know, if you're having working meetings, don't try to have those lab times where like people can just kind of come in and work because that really just helps to kind of encourage the, you know, collaboration within the team as a whole um, and, you know, making sure that everyone's kind of understanding how things are coming together. So that would be my recommendation there. And I guess kind of going back to, um, you know, your, 
the the question where it was like, what would you do differently? Uh, I probably would have had, you know, more of those group meetings uh, in the beginning. We were initially working on things because everyone was very separate in the beginning and um, that slowed down our, our schedule, I think. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I think that's all the, that's all the questions we had. <laughs> Sweet. But yeah, if you think of any more, feel free to, feel free to email me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, having dedicated so much time to us poor people. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I um, I, I like doing this. It's um, it's it's definitely one of the things I've liked the most about Phoenix Ending is getting to tell people all of the ways that we've broken things, um, <laughs> and and done things wrong. Because we we really didn't talk to like other CubeSat teams when we started, and I think if we had done that, we would have started off on a better page um so yeah that was you guys are doing the right thing <laughs> okay that's that's Thank good you. to hear <laughs> okay yeah well, th thanks thanks a lot for your time again uh have a have a good sleep and whatnot <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely okay all right uh, thank you and uh ciao. <laughs> ciao take care guys Thank you all for tuning in to The Art of Space Engineering. That's all for today's episode. If you're starting a CubeSat project of your own, I really hope this episode was helpful to you. While we covered a lot in this episode, there is a heck of a lot more that goes into starting one of these from scratch. So I plan to work on a few more episodes that cover more of the earlier stages of Phoenix, some of the realities of developing CubeSats as an undergraduate student team, and how slash where we spent our time, how long things took. But as always, if you have any questions and are interested in talking to me more about Phoenix, then please feel free to shoot me an email. I can talk about this project for days, <laughs> and I'm always happy to help. If you've been enjoying this podcast, don't forget to follow The Art of Space Engineering on your favorite podcast platform, like it on Facebook for further updates, and I'll catch you fellow CubeSat nerds in the next episode. Here's looking forward to future adventures and the lessons learned from them. Cheers, Sarah. <laughs>